Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. As the kids are returning to their seat, uh, if you want to, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're continuing this morning our study of Luke, and we're going to look at look at Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let's read this together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you now strengthen me that I might proclaim clearly and boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. It's no surprise, no secret, no one will be, you know, like awoken to some new idea if I say that that over the last several years, we as a culture have really struggled with the idea of identity. It's been, we've struggled with it kind of from all different angles, from about every angle it seems like you can struggle with it, though I'm sure we'll come up with, with new ways to struggle with it tomorrow. But, but this, this idea of identity, we struggle with it because we don't quite know what to do with it. We, we don't know, does, does our identity come from what we do? Does what we do come from our identity? Is, is it both? Is it a little bit? Like, how does it all work? And, and by and large, I think we, we get it wrong completely because, because we just start backwards. Because I think a lot of times what we try to do is we try to make our identity come from what we do. We look at our performance, we look at what we can accomplish or what we have accomplished or whatever, and we think, okay, that's, that's where, where our identity comes from. And I'll give kind of an anecdotal example of this. When you have new parents, and they have a child, and this child like colors in the lines quite by accident, maybe like a month before they're supposed to. They're like, my child is brilliant. This child is going to be an astronaut or the president or something. Because they've done something, and so they're like, oh. 
And, and, and they give them this grand identity. But then some time passes, some years pass, they, they do some kind of something, and you're like, this child is going to wear orange for the rest of their life. Because again, we're looking at, at what they do, and we're like, oh, this must be who and what they are. And then we become adults, and we do the exact same thing. And, and we, 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 we get excited about our credentials and our accomplishments, and we're like, this is what makes me who I am. And, and then those go away, and we're completely undone. And we don't know who we are anymore. And we don't know what we're supposed to do. And we're lost. We all struggle with these issues of identity. And, and, and the good news is that the gospel answers them and, and helps us answer them in incredible ways. And, and it does that. And we, we're going to see this in our passage. And then, and then if we kind of set the passage in its broader context, we're going to see this in, a, in, in two primary ways. One, we're going to see this in, in that, that Jesus' identity drove what he did. He knew who he was. And it drove what he did. That's the person and work of Christ. But because of that, what we're going to see as we, as we set this in its broader biblical theological context is that because he did what he was supposed to do in, in light of, of who he was, that's made us something that now informs what we should do. So we're familiar with this story. It's the story of the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and saying, you're going to have this kid and he's going to be incredible. And, and it's one of those stories in the Bible that's so familiar that we read them like, hey, okay, I got it. I understand it. Talk about this every Christmas for my entire life. Next story. But if we, if we stop, we begin to see some, some really incredible things here. Because what we see is, is, particularly in verses 31 through 33, we see the person and work of Christ announced before he's ever on the scene. This is who he's going to be, and this is what he's going to do. But, but it's announced in, in the context of, of this angel. As I said, this angel Gabriel that, that we saw appear to Zechariah and now appears to Mary, telling her that this, this woman who's a virgin, who's, who's betrothed but not married yet, you're going to have this child. And of course she's troubled and trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, who wouldn't be in this situation? She, she's, greetings, oh favored one, the Lord. Like if an angel shows up and says that, you're going to be like, all right, this is weird. What is happening? So she's trying to figure it all out. And the angel, as, as he often does, as we often have to be told, tells her, don't be afraid. God's being gracious to you. You have found favor with God. And, and this is what's going to happen. We'll come back to those verses in just a second. And, and Mary asks this question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And, and the angel's response is very different than when Zechariah asked the question. And, and it, it, at some level, it's like, okay, they don't seem like that different of a question. But, but there's a key difference. Zechariah's question was, how am I supposed to know? How, why should I believe you? That's essentially, when he says, how am I going to know this? That's essentially his question is, why should I believe you? That's why Gabriel responds the way, because I'm Gabriel, 
And my job is to tell you what God's going to do. But Mary's question is, is subtly, but in, in an important way, different. She's not saying, why should I believe you? She's just going, how is that going to work? Uh, It's almost as if she's like, okay, cool. But how? Because, you know, there's this thing called biology. What's going to happen there? And and the angel doesn't strike her with with muteness or or deafness or any. He's just like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and and you're going to conceive and have this child. And, And Mary accepts it. Her response is, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, and and that's where we see the difference between Mary's response and Zechariah's response. She's got a very practical, how is this going to work question, but, but her ultimate response is, okay, let it be so. And then the story just continues. And it's, it's really kind of incredible but but it does give us a picture it does give us an example of like yeah that's how we should respond of course it is we hear the promises of god we, we hear his word announced and how are we supposed to respond there it is with faith okay let it be done to me according to your word i'm your servant that's what faith looks like trusting that what god's word says it's going to happen. That it's true. That, that even if we can't explain it, and, and this isn't a, a pitting faith against reason type of thing, but, but, but even if there's times we can't explain it, but we're called to trust. We're called to believe. And that's what Mary does in this story. We, we've got these pieces that connect it to what's gone before uh, It's the sixth month since he had appeared to Zechariah. And then at the end, we're we're told that uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant now. This this one who was called barren because nothing's impossible with God. And and so so Luke is, again, as we said last week, he's tying these stories together because John and and Jesus, of course, they can't be separated in, in, in their stories. But what exactly is it that the angel, what's this message that Mary is accepting? It's this, back to verse 31 now. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then down in verse 35, we read, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And and so here we see this picture as as we talk about the person and work of Christ. And in theological terms, when we we talk about the person of Christ, we we always want to make sure that that we're, we're clear that he's fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. And and, and yes to all of that, but I want to focus on what it is that the angel is saying here about the person of Christ. He is going to be born of Mary. so He's going to be a human like you and I, yet, of course, without sin. But, But notice 
where it starts. You will bear, conceive and bear in your womb a son. A child's going to be born to this woman. So, so all of a sudden, we're, we're launched all the way back to the very beginning of the story, aren't we? Back to Genesis 3, where, where th- th- there's this promise that a child's going to be born to the woman, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and, and to, to, to Mary, to, to any Jew hearing these types of promises, they would have immediately gone there and been like, is, is this the fulfillment of that? And then she's told, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is, is, is the, the anglicized version of the Greek version of the Hebrew word for salvation. So, so really, like, like what we could say if we wanted to kind of get the impact here, you're going to bear a son and you're going to name him Savior. You're going to name him the one who will save us. Like that, that's the, the impact. Jesus is so far removed from, from the, the Hebrew, and none of us know Hebrew, that, that, that we, we just think, oh yeah, his name was Jesus. Okay. But it goes all the way back to Joshua. That, it's the American or Anglicized version of, of, of Yeshua. But the word is salvation. You're going to name your child Savior. Now, in any culture, at any point in history, that's a bold name. Like, that's just like you're setting some expectations. Savior. That's what we're going to call you. Because, because essentially, that's what Jesus means. So, so, so they would have been running back. Like, is this the, is this the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent? It's going to crush his head and, and deliver and make everything right again. Is this the one that we've been waiting on? But then the angel continues. He will be called Son of the Most High. And he just fast forwards to, to Genesis 14 and the story of, of Melchizedek where, where, where God is first, for the first time in the Bible, called the Most High God. It's going to be that one's son. He's going to be your child, but he's also going to be God's child. He's going to be like you, but he's also going to be like God. And then the angel continues. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And now we're, we're fast-forwarded again in the story to, to 2 Samuel 7 that we just read and, and these promises that were made to David that, that, a, that a child from your line will get this throne and he will reign forever and he will establish the kingdom forever and there will be no end. And this is exactly what the angel says this kid is going to do. He's going to get the throne of David. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob. He's going to reign. And his kingdom will never end. In other words, he's not going to be like the kings that have gone before. But by by his kingship, by by his reign, we won't end up back here, Mary. That's what he's saying. So so here we see this picture of of the person and the work of Christ. Like like the the person of Christ is that that he's the, the son of Mary and the son of God. He's fully God, fully man. And his work is to reign. To to reign, to establish the kingdom of God forever. 
in permanence. That's his job. That's what he's coming to do. And that includes, by definition, him saving his people from all their enemies. That's what it means for him to reign and establish this kingdom forever. So he's rightly named it Jesus because he's going to have to save his people. He's going to have to fulfill Psalm 2. He's going to have to to fulfill all of these promises. He's, He's going to have to do something about what's going on in Israel if he's going to fulfill these promises. So so they've got these promises they've been waiting on for centuries, wondering, are they going to come true? Is it finally going to happen? But, But these promises, as I told the kids, it's not just that the promises had taken a while to come about. It's that there was really good reason to think, yeah, this probably isn't going to pan out like we thought. They had been exiled, first of all. That They had been kicked out of the land. And you read Psalm 89, and it's kind of a lament of that. It's a lament of like, well, and it's questioning, well, like I guess God has forgotten his promises. Because here we go. The, the kingdom is over. And they were gone for 70 years, but then they come back and they rebuild, but it's not like what it was. It's nothing like what it was. It's never as glorious as what it was. They never have peace in the land where they're not under the reign of somebody else again. Even when they rebuild the temple, there's no record of, of, of the, the Shekinah glory, that the presence of God indwelling the temple again. Like that doesn't seem to have happened. It's just not like it was. For 400 years... There hadn't even been a prophet. God just went silent. And so, so there's good reason from, from an earthly perspective to look and go, yeah, you know, maybe it's time we move on. Maybe it's time we come up with a different way to, to think about life. He had told us, Back in, back in, in, in Exodus 19, if, if you keep my commands, if you do what I, then I will make you a kingdom. And we haven't done that either. So at some point, it just makes sense to go, you know what? Yeah, I, I think probably, I think probably it's time to move on. I think probably it's time for us to think differently about life. Because those promises haven't happened. And, and then there was some conditionality in there about being a kingdom if we obeyed. And that, like, clearly that hasn't happened. So why are we even still holding on to these promises? But then they're re-announced. No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Because I had made a promise. And see, that's what happens over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. And and that's why the Israelites didn't lose hope. Because over and over and over we read this. They, They did this and they messed something up this way, but God remembered his promise. And so he did something great for them. He showed them grace. He showed them mercy. He responded to them in his steadfast love. And then they would mess up. But God would remember his promise. And everything would be right again. 
That's what's happening here. Once again, for the thousandth time, it seems, God is remembering his promise. But this time, he's remembering it in a way that he's sending the Messiah, the promised one, the child of David, who will never be knocked off his throne. His kingdom will be forever. That's why in a, in, in a few weeks when we turn a page in, in, in the Gospel of Luke and we hear Jesus announce his message, it's this. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. The king has come. I'm here to reign and, and I'll never lose. The kingdom has come. So, so that's what we're getting to see here. In this moment, when Gabriel shows up, we're at this turning point in the story. And in the whole story of the Bible, in the whole story of history, here's the turning point. The the angel shows up and says, God remembered. He remembered his promise. He remembered what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's remembered what he said to to Abraham about being a people and and being a blessing to all nations. He remembered what he said to Moses. He remembered what he said to David. He remembered. And you're going to bear a son. And he's going to fulfill all of it. But it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And, And the reason it's going to be different is because this son that will be born isn't going to announce a new law. He's going to fulfill what's already come. See, see, here's here's why it's so important for us to see that that Jesus is the one that establishes the kingdom forever and that, that, that it'll never end. Because here's what that means. If the kingdom will never end, that means we can't mess up so bad that we bring the kingdom to an end. And that's good news. But, but, but to, to kind of see the picture, let's set it in this big kind of arch of the Bible story. Back in, back in Exodus 19, verse 6, we read, Obey, and I'll make you a kingdom. It's an if-then statement. If you obey, then I will make you a kingdom. A kingdom of priests, even. Then Jesus comes, and then we get to, to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and what does it say? You are a kingdom. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I did that. I did that. And, And notice the difference in those two statements. If you obey, you will be a royal nation. You will be a holy priesthood. You will be, if you obey, kingdom. Fast forward, through Christ, you are a royal priesthood. For, for the, the grammar nerds out there, there's a world of difference in those two statements, isn't there? Th- this one over here isn't contingent on us. Something has happened that now God can look at his people and say, you are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Not... Obey and you will be. But you are. And see, that's the difference. That's the difference that the gospel makes. That's the difference that this announcement by Gabriel makes to everything. 
No longer do we, do we stand before God and cower, hoping that we get it right so that we can become that thing. No longer is our identity as the people of God contingent on our performance of His commandments. Now, our performance flows from our identity as the people of God. See, no longer are we trying to be a royal priesthood. And if we get it all right, then God will at last announce, you did it. Now you can be called that. No, Christ has come. And he brought the kingdom. And he fulfilled the law that Israel never fulfilled. And he, by his grace and his sovereignty, is reigning over Jacob, over the house of Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, forever. So now in him, we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. But here's the other thing that that does. It it gives us this identity. but, But think about who it gives it to. There's a difference there as well, isn't there? Because back here in Exodus 19, this contingent identity was given to Israel as a geopolitical nation. If you, Israel, this particular group of people that I have called out from all the other nations and given this particular name, if you obey, I will make you a nation here. Now he says to everyone in Christ, not to any particular nation anywhere, But to those who are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So so here's what this does for us as we think about kind of the, the, the magnitude of this announcement that Mary received from Gabriel. It was an announcement that truly changed everything, all of history. Because it was an announcement that that as it unfolded as it was fulfilled, as, as, as this promise continued to, to come about, all of a sudden it changes how we think about everything. No longer are we, are, are we trying to figure out what our identity We now have it. We, the people of God, we are a holy nation. We don't have to establish that. We just are. Why? Because Christ has established it for us by his life, death, and resurrection. And so here's what that does to our relationship to the world. It frees us. It completely frees us. What what do I mean by that? I don't have to, you don't have to, we don't have to look out at the world and say, we've got to establish the kingdom. It's already here. We also don't have to look out at the world and and, and kind of figure out which particular nation now gets to claim these promises because that's not how it works anymore. It's not a geopolitical thing. The promises belong to us. We, along with all the other Christians throughout history, we are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood. We are the ones who get to claim all these promises. And so here's what we get to do with them. Because here's the other way it changes the story. It changes the story because Jesus didn't show up and he wasn't announced. He's like, hey, he's going to come bringing this this new law that you've got to perform to get in. No, he comes like he's going to get the throne. He's going to get the kingdom. It's his. And all who go to him get it too. So now we get to tell that story. 
We get to announce that good news. The kingdom is here. Come live in it with us. Come be part of it with us. It's not that we never talk about sin. It's not that we don't talk about the, the, the need for, for all. Yeah, yes. But, but fundamentally, our story is, hey, the king has come, and we get to live in his kingdom freely by his grace because he has accomplished everything to establish his kingdom. And it's ours by the promise that he fulfilled and now extends to us. And so it changes how we look at everything about life. Everything. It changes how we think about our work. It changes how we think about our money. It changes how we think about our time. It it changes how we think about our relations because everything now is is in this this kind of, um, under this umbrella of the security of a kingdom. The security of a kingdom in which, guess what? There's enough. There's enough to go around. That's why we can go to our Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. We don't have to live in the fear of, of being a citizen of a kingdom where maybe there's not enough. It, it, it's a kingdom under this umbrella that, that's perfectly secure, that will never be toppled. So we don't have to live in the fear of like, what if we lose the kingdom? What if we do something? What what if another superpower arises and we're not in anymore? We can put off that fear. It's a kingdom that is built on life. It's a kingdom that, that ultimately death is vanquished from. So we don't even have to fear that anymore, do we? That's why Jesus says later... Even though they die, yet they will live. We, li- we live in a kingdom that we don't even have to fear death anymore. Doesn't that change everything? And, and when, when we set these promises that, that Mary received from Gabriel back in the context of, that's what all's being announced. All of that. She's being told your son will bring. Your son will bring all of that. It was changing everything. Everything. And that hasn't changed. We forget this constantly, though, don't we? We think, okay, he saved me from our sins, but man... All this stuff out here is still messed up. All this stuff out here is still the same. All this stuff, it, there, there's, it's, we still live in complete insecurity. But we don't. The, yeah, the, I get it. The world's still broken. There's still wars. There's still rumors of wars. Stuff still falls. I get all of that. But we live in this umbrella of the kingdom of God. And then that's not just some magical fairy tale land where we get to pretend like there's no problems in the world. It's this reality. It's this reality that that Christ, the Messiah, the the long-promised one, he has come and the healing of the world has begun in him. That, That, as the prophet said, he came and he's bringing healing in his wings and that's what we get to announce. 
And it gives us these, these new lenses by which we get to see all of this brokenness out here and all of this stuff that causes us fear. It helps us, it helps us see more clearly that the reason all of that stuff causes us so much fear is because we've attached ourselves and our identity and our hope and our security to this crumbling kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. And so we feel like there's not enough. We feel like it can be lost in a second. And we've attached the kingdom of God to that kingdom. And so we feel like it can be lost in a second. But it can't be. It can't be. And, and that's the greatest news ever. Because it removes, if we let it, it removes all fear. We no longer have to strive to, to make our mark in this world even. Because we're secure. It's glorious. It's why we can forgive. Because we're secure. It's why we can love our enemies. Because we're secure. It's why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. It's why all of that stuff can begin to make sense. It's why he can say, love your enemies. Love them. Don't hate them. Love them. See, in this broken kingdom of the world, that makes no sense whatsoever. But in the kingdom where you can't lose because it's secure forever, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. And that's what we've been called into. That kingdom is what we have been called into because that's the kingdom that this child that would receive the throne of his father David, that's the kingdom that he brought. That's the kingdom that he brought. Now, look, I get it. I, I can see it in, in, in some of your faces. I see it. In, I can see it in my own face. This seems too good to be true. This seems a little pie in the sky, a little detached from reality. Some of you are looking at me like, you know my story. Where does that fit in, preacher? Where does that fit? Here's where it fits. Christ has brought the kingdom of God into this world, into the brokenness of the world. He, he hasn't denied the brokenness of the world. He hasn't turned his back on the brokenness of the world. He hasn't forgotten the brokenness of the world. He brought the kingdom into it and laid his own life down. He took the strike on the hill from the serpent and tasted death for us. And then rose in victory. And said, yeah, it was painful. It's broken. But I have conquered it. I have conquered death. And I am bringing life. And you get to join me in that. That's where it fits. That, that, that's why, 
that's why in the midst of this brokenness, when we see how these pieces fit together, that's why we can step into it without fear of judgment, without fear of loss. It's not that we won't lose. It's not that we won't feel that pain. It's not that people won't judge us. It's not any of that. We just don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear parents, our our kids growing up and, and not becoming what we had hoped. And, and we don't have to cut them off when that happens either. We get to just keep loving them. Because our performance as parents doesn't secure the kingdom for them or for us or for anyone. It's why we can, we can put off the, the constant striving to, 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 to climb whatever ladder it is you're trying to climb. Because your place in the kingdom doesn't depend on that. In any way, shape, or form. It, it's, it's, why, it's why we can actually love our neighbors. It's why we can reach across the aisle, so to speak without fear of judgment. Because the kingdom of God doesn't depend on us getting all those things right. It gives us the freedom to recklessly, recklessly love everyone. Everyone. Even those who would abuse us even those who would be our enemies. Because the kingdom of God doesn't depend on us getting any of that right. It doesn't depend on us securing anything for ourselves. It depends only on the king and nothing else. And this baby that was born, he said, yeah, Exodus 19, I did that. And so the kingdom is secure. And so he now gets to say to us, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You get to now come live with me in my kingdom. And foolishly in the world's eyes, ignore all the structures and strictures of this broken world that we're all trying to live in and enjoy the freedom of my kingdom. That's what we are as Christians, as people who have been brought into that and who have been given an identity as citizens of that kingdom to live as God has called us because we're secure. That's what Gabriel was announcing to Mary. That's what your child's going to do for the world. And that's what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that Christ came fulfilling these promises, bringing the kingdom, receiving the throne of David to reign forever. 
and that he has established his kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection forever. And that in your grace, we've been brought into that kingdom to live, to process life, to be shaped and and grow and understand who we are and what you've called us to in this world. Father, we confess that, that it's that the easiest thing for us to just say, oh, well, this, this just all seems too good to be true. At some point, we've got to live in, in the real world. Father, help us to see that your kingdom, that your kingdom is the real world. That it's not the pie in the sky. It's not the sham. That that's the broken kingdom out here that keeps thinking we can figure it out without you. Father, help us to see that that really that's the pie in the sky and that we're free to walk away from it. As foolish as it may look to the world, to dwell in the security and hope of your kingdom that's been established forever. And from there to then go back into the world utterly free to love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.